Welcome to Muse Unseen, the podcast on how creatives do business. This is Zoe Omega. And my name is Claire Michelle. And today we are interviewing... Zoe Omega. <laughs> Wait a minute. We are? Isn't that you? Yes. <laughs> so uh, we've been working on this podcast for about a year now. And uh, we thought it was a good idea to kind of give you a little behind the scenes look into who we are, who your interviewers are uh, <laughs> today in this moment in time. So uh, Zoe, is there anything that you want to say before uh, our listeners listen to you about the things that you have to say? Just thank you for having me and enjoy the show. Hey Zoe, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. How are you doing today? I am, I am splendid. It is a beautiful, beautiful, sunny fall day. Uh, we've had a little bit of rain today, but it's been a bit nice. So um, I got questions for you because this is a super special episode. And uh, I'm curious a little bit about what projects you might be working on these days. Would you mind telling us a little bit about what's going on in your neck of the woods? Sure. I have been working on my memoir and that's been quite interesting. It's, I've been very introspective in processing all sorts of fun childhood trauma, but trying to create, figure out a way to write about it in a way that's in, entertaining and also kind of guiding other people towards healing. I also have been working on Fort Northgate Friends, which is my harm reduction drug, drug education puppet video series and the first puppet has been made the second puppet is being made and that has been a lot of fun so um with fort northgate because this is something that i think is definitely like from talking to you and knowing you as well as i do like the puppet show fort northgate friends that is something that you are constantly working on you are actively like producing and are, how close is this to being uh, to being released? It will take a while because the second puppet still needs to be made, but mm -hmm. I found a co-writer, Dre Anderson, and so we're a lot, who was featured on our very first episode. <laughs> he was. And he has some great ideas on how to incorporate my, to my ideas and make them even better. And the Fort Northgate Friends is actually going to be a regularly sketch on his show, Extra Sketchy, which is a sketch show. And we have a sponsor. I don't think it's public yet, but we are going to be physically sponsored by a local theater. And so it's going to be an amazing collaborative process. Oh, my God. This is total news to me. So this is really good. I'm really happy for you. Um, so it's really good that you found a, uh, somebody to work with and a, like a platform to host the show on. How did that conversation go? Like, how did that, how did that work for everybody involved? I approached Dre about helping me with the show and it was his idea to make Fort Northgate friends part of Extra mm -hmm. Sketchy. And then he did the legwork to get a fiscal sponsor. And so it was definitely him building upon my ideas and making my dream even better. Yeah. 
Now, you might not be able to say who the sponsor is, but can you uh, give us a little insight into how that sponsor was found? Dre is an actor and has have been with their troupe for a while. So. Nice. So what is, um, what is this puppet show about? So the puppet show is a fictionalized version of me and my aunt, and we live in an apartment building called Fort Northgate. And so the the setting is loosely based on an apartment complex that I lived in from 18 to about 25. And we had about four apartments that we were all buddies, and we honestly, we smoked some weed and we <laughs> we we had meals together we even produced a play together I and knew. so I want to capture that camaraderie and we'll have guests that are neighbors and we're we're combining human and puppet characters to create this mm. world of this apartment complex that is at the its heart really a community mm. And now, you mentioned, like, you know, weed and things like that. Is there any, like, kind of underlying issues with this puppet show that you're kind of working towards? Well, we want to educate people on harm reduction because abstinence-only education, like sex yeah. dr in drugs, it doesn't work. People will still want to experiment. So the goal is to do a harm reduction approach where we are very honest about the risks and side effects of drugs, but show how to do it in a safe manner. Is there like, are there spaces uh, that you can start sort of like showing this Fort Northgate friends um, outside of the stage or anything? Have you thought about kind of like big picture on this? We're going to show, we're going to make videos to show on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And the great part of this is it's very collaborative. And one of the characters is based on my aunt Dinky and it's kind of like she's everyone's aunt. So we're going to open her up as a resource so that people can ask her questions. And she's also going to be reading and providing feedback on the scripts. Your real life aunt. My real life aunt, yeah. She's like a second mom to me. She's yeah. always been yeah. there, so I'm really inspired by her. And she's a hippie chick in her mid-60s. And so she brings another generational level and some wisdom to the production because so she's seen a lot. She's tried a lot of different things. And mm -hmm. she has a very frank, honest way about her. But she's also really caring, so that that kind of tough love knowledge is mm -hmm. something we're going to bring into her character. And she's nice. kind of the main character. So you were talking about your memoir earlier. Yeah. Does your aunt sort of like fit into your memoir anywhere? Yes, she will. I haven't written about her yet, but she'll definitely be a part of my memoir. Where are you at in your memoir? I'm still on the first draft. I have written the outline for the first, like, third, and I'm starting interviews. I interviewed a friend that knew me, has known me since I was five or six years old, and I grew up in a very toxic church, 
and we didn't have a very good uh, experience with that sect. But we both managed to leave and find healing, and we found each other as adults. And so she remembers a lot of things I don't, and combined yeah. we're, we're piecing things together, and that interview went really well. Where did your memoir start? Like, because I know a little bit about your history and kind of where you started from. Um, so where are you like starting the memoir from? How does that, how does the opening chapter work for you? It's kind of a mystery. Like it starts, but you don't know exactly what is going on until like the second chapter. That's good. I start it when I'm young and all you know is that I am in a beach setting and you don't know why. You just know I'm a kid playing along on a Caribbean beach, and you don't know why. Hmm. So how, how um, where do you want your memoir to end up? How do you see your memoir going forth in the future? So I already know the beginning, middle, and end. So okay. the end is how I came to terms with some of my issues with the church and I get the opportunity to as a family be on a advent candle lighting service at my boyfriend's husband's church and how the three of us were had the opportunity to lead this sort of ritual in the church and so it's uh, I grew up with my grandparents going to a Presbyterian church and this church that I wound up doing this at is the same church that my grandparents went to so all these people knew me and it sort of ends with me in front of all these people that have seen me grow up and they know my mom they know my sisters and stuff and so it kind of comes full circle in a way. Do you think that you'll you'll see this uh, to completion in the next five years? Yeah, it should be in the next five years. The um, thing that, one of the things that is holding it up is, and you'll read about this in the book, but I have an FBI file because my dad kidnapped me, <laughs> which is what, what you don't quite, what is hinted at in the first chapter. So I am waiting on those files and I have no idea how long it's going to take them to get to me because of COVID. Wow. I didn't know that you had an FBI file on you. <laughs> so I need to actually put that on my calendar so I do it because if it's not on the yeah. calendar it doesn't get done. But those happened like in my early early years and I don't really have a good memory of what island I was at in what year. So mm. I want those files. So with uh, Totally Jumping Ship here, one of the things that you were telling me about the other day um, was that you had a Zoom call where you were essentially acting as like the switcher for everything. Um, how did that go? Okay, so I work with John Chen for engaging virtual meetings and he uh -huh. had a conference where he was leading a workshop and I was, I was his producer is what we call it, 
where you mm -hmm. run the breakout rooms and you spotlight people when they needed to be spotlit. And now in Zoom, you can spotlight up to nine people at the same time. So it was figuring out when two people should be spotlit or three people. And I did the same thing later on for the conference for the dance party, which was a lot of fun. Cool. So the thing is, is that like event production has moved from this like, you know, brick and mortar space to things like Zoom now. And this is something that I know you have a very unique perspective on because like I said, you were just asked to be a producer for a Zoom event itself. So how, uh, how did you get into the whole event production side of things? So going back to the church. Oh, right, there is a crossover there. I was wondering if there was a crossover. <laughs> I wound up getting really active with my mother doing events like baby showers and setting up and cleaning up picnics and different things like that. So I started just as a helper when I was young and then eventually as I was an older kid got into the planning and I did all sorts of th things, whether it was set up or and tear down to planning the games for the baby shower or actually leading kids in activities. So I did a little bit of everything. And so by the time I was 13, I'd done so many events and I had a good track record. So it comes naturally to you then? Yeah, I love logistics. Yeah. I love having a goal in mind and then walking backwards to see how to get that goal done. So how did it switch then for you? Like you were growing up in this sort of you know, in this in this church and family kind of oriented space doing events for this community. Well, how did it how did it switch over to um, to more professional and uh, career focused events? How did that switch look for you? So when I was 15, I left the church and eventually I transferred to at 16 I transferred to Nova High School which was an alternative high school I'd been going to a more traditional high school before and Nova is very arts focused so at Nova I got my chance to organize open mics and fundraisers and different events like that and through Nova I got t connected with my first job which was an internship at Seattle Young People's Project organizing the Bended Extravaganza, which was a queer youth arts festival. And I got paid to help organize this multi-day art festival. So that was my first professional paid arts event. And then like from that point forward, You've started doing a lot of like self-event sort of stuff. How was that different than working with like, you know, kind of a, um, a financially backed like, you know, uh, corporation or something like that that wants to do an event? I haven't really done corporate backing. The paid event through Bended Extravaganza was through a wonderful um, program through the city of Seattle called Seattle Youth Employment Program. Was it a nonprofit? It's a city-funded program that pays youth to work at nonprofits. City and 
state, I don't know exactly where they get their funding, but it's, it's a government-funded organization to provide job opportunities for youth, especially at-risk youth. I got my start through there, and then I did a second internship through them and got some blogging experience and got paid to shoot events and stuff. So I have had a great experience with Seattle Youth Employment Program. I don't know what they're doing now during COVID, but they pretty much set a foundation for a lot of things that I'm doing currently. Is there anything that you want to relay to artists who might be sort of struggling in this space right now or maybe struggling it, struggling to you know, make their own way in the world at the moment? I'd like to tell them that they're not alone, that there's plenty of places to find community, whether that's on Facebook or on LinkedIn. I personally love going to happy hours and meeting people. Depending on where you are, there's a, there's a niche for you. There's all sorts of groups on Facebook, like Seattle Queer Artists. There's resources through the Northwest Film Forum. They still are having events, coffee talks and such. So just Google for a pro programs in your area. Thanks for being here, Zoe. It's almost like you're here all the time. Yeah, <laughs> thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Muse Unseen. My name is Claire Michelle. And this has been Zoe Omega. And if you are interested in following Muse Unseen on social media, you can find us on Facebook or Twitter by going to Muse Unseen. And if you are interested in being on the podcast, you can contact us at museunseen at gmail.com. And we would like to thank our sponsor, Title Artist Haven. That's title with a T I D A L, artisthaven.org. You can also follow Title Artist Haven on Facebook. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next one.